the way you have lavished us with your love. And Father, as we just um, we, we hear your word, I pray that our hearts would be ready to receive from our, our brother in Christ who will bring the word and, and the issues of forgiveness. I just pray that in Jesus' name. Amen. All right, come on, Ryan. Good morning. Can you hear me? This thing on? Okay. It's uh, really my privilege and honor to be with you this morning. I met Israel, gosh, when was it? He's talking to Becky, so he's, you're not supposed to talk in church. When did we meet? We met like five or six years ago. I was uh, speaking at a, at a winter camp, and I met Israel when he was a youth pastor at his former church, and then we became fast friends. Uh, three, four years ago, my wife and I and our family, we started a church in South County, and uh, during that time, Israel and Becky were also talking about planting a church and what the Lord is doing in them. And so the four of us got together, and we become friends, and, uh, and after about three years or so, uh, my wife and I decided that we would transition out of local church ministry, and I uh, work specifically with refugees in Sudan and South Sudan, and we do leadership training and uh, church planting training and uh, trauma healing counseling, and the Lord has given us an amazing opportunity to be involved there, and uh, uh, our friend uh, Israel asked if I would, if I would uh, share today and preach, and, and I wanted to do that, so I'm so glad that I could be here, thank you. We're going to be in Acts chapter 7, if you want to turn to Acts chapter 7. You know, uh, I have to be honest with you, we're going to be talking about forgiveness, and we're going to be looking through the Acts uh, 7 passage at the end, uh, around the late 50, verse 50-ish, where Stephen is being stoned and being persecuted for his faith. And I stand here before you as a, as a co-laborer of the kingdom of God and as a fellow Christian brother with you, and recognizing that I'm still learning this journey of forgiveness. I wish I could say that I've mastered it. I wish I could say that, uh, that because of all the experiences that I've had over my life, the, the ways that I've hurt people, the ways that I've been hurt, the infractions that I've done and that have been caused against me, over the years of my life that, that I've been able to say, you know what, I have mastered forgiveness, I can write a book on it, follow me as an authority on the subject. I wish I could say that and I can't. Because I'm just as broken as the rest of us. And if there's anything that we have in common in this room today, I mean there's probably more than one, but if there's anything, is that the person to the left and to the right, to the, before you and behind you, is just broken. And the Lord is able to redeem that and to work through that. And it's part of our process of becoming more like Jesus. Never can we really be more like Jesus than when we learn how to forgive. I mean, Romans 5, 8 tells us that although we were sinners, God demonstrated His love for us and that He died. Now today you're going to hear me refer to some verses and you're going to hear me share and I often call it the RSV. That's the Ryan Standard Version. So I want to make sure that you don't just take my word for it, that you go into the scriptures to make sure that I'm accurate. But a lot of times I just kind of say the verse. I said that one totally backwards. There's three things I've learned about unforgiveness. Let's start there. 
Three things that I've learned personally about how the enemy can use unforgiveness. You know, when we are unforgiving, when we refuse to forgive our brother or sister in Christ, or someone who has hurt us, someone who has wronged us, when we, forget, when we refuse to forgive, we are in a prison. Do you know that? You're in prison. You're stuck in a spiritual prison of unforgiveness. And the most fascinating thing about this prison of unforgiveness is that the key is on the inside of that gate. And that you have the power to turn that and to set yourself free by accepting Jesus and recognizing His pathways to forgiveness. Maybe you're in a prison. Your heart is so hard, so hurt, so trapped that you feel like you are stuck in a prison. And I want to tell you that the key is inside. It's locked from the inside. No one's holding you there. No one's keeping you hostage but you. I've learned that. I've learned that unforgiveness, the enemy can use unforgiveness as a, as a tool to keep you hating. Whoa, 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 Ryan, I don't hate, I don't hate. I just wish that they would get run over by a car or that I could run into them at a grocery store and choke them out, but I don't hate. And I've learned that unforgiveness is a trap for bitterness. And bitterness eats away at your soul. I've known the Lord and I've walked with the Lord for a long time. Uh, it could be argued that I've known about Jesus my entire life. My parents were missionaries in Quito, Ecuador, and South America. Uh, they took me over there when I was three years old, and I lived there basically until I was 19, and I came to the U.S. for, for school. I have a sister and a brother. We all grew up in South America. And over the course of those years, of some really painful years, living in a legalistic environment, where it seemed to be more about behavior modification than anything to do with the inner workings of your heart and soul, I found myself as a young man into my 20s, into my 30s, into my late 30s in prison. Unforgiving heart. I remember I was told by my typing teacher, like that's like a class that you had to take with a typewriter, <laughs> where they put the sandpaper over the A and the, no, it was over the two middle ones. I never knew because they were covered. <laughs> typing class that I wasn't going to amount to anything. Putting her finger in my face, you're never going to amount to anything. And I remember when I graduated seminary, I'm supposed to be super mature. And I graduated seminary, and then uh, right after that, I was, took 38 high school students back to Ecuador, and we're going to do some ministry in the jungle. And part of it was seeing the school that I grew up in, and there was pictures on the wall of these teachers that have just made impacts in kids' lives, and I see Mrs. Leon's picture. I graduated seminary, proficient in Greek and Hebrew, know how to exegete the scriptures, mastering theology, looked at Mrs. Leon's picture, stuck my tongue out at her. <laughs> so she knows that I get him out to something. <laughs> Unforgiveness. 
I carried it with me. And Jesus knows that this is a human problem. It's why he died. He died to set us free. And not just free from the bondage of sin and separation from him for all of eternity, but even free in the here and now. And so we read these stories of people in the scripture that have modeled what it looks like to have a life of complete abandon to Jesus and how a relationship with Jesus when it's when he infiltrates your entire heart can set you free from this prison can help transform this tool of hate into a tool of love and how Jesus alone can help us recognize traps of bitterness and set us on a trajectory where where we genuinely can love. And that's really important to Jesus. (laughs) He said that they'll know that you follow me. They will know, they being the world, will know that you are in a relationship with me, that you are in my family, that you represent me. They will know this. How? How will they know this? What does he say? By our love. So why is it that as believers, we seem to be the most offenders by our refusal to be forgiving? So I'm in process like you. So let's look at what Acts has to say about how we can learn to forgive when people are attacking. When people are throwing stones at us. When the world seems to be focusing on us. When people seem to be focused on us and attacking us by throwing stones. Let's see how we can be more and more like Christ in the way that Stephen handled his situation. Here's what I want to do. I want to read Acts chapter 7, verse 54 uh, to the end. That's up to 60. And then we'll just kind of give you a little background so we, 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 we got it all kind of together. So let's look at 54, verse 54. Now when they heard these things, they were enraged and they ground their teeth at him. But he, full of the Holy Spirit, gazed into heaven and saw the glory of God and Jesus standing at the right hand of God. And he said, this is Stephen, he said, Behold, I see the heavens opened and the Son of Man standing at the right hand of God. But they cried with a loud voice and stopped their ears and rushed together at him. Then they cast him out of the city and stoned him. And the witnesses laid down their garments at the feet of a young man named Saul. And as they were stoning Stephen, he called out, Jesus, Lord Jesus, receive my spirit. And falling to his knees, he cried out and with a loud voice, Lord, do not hold this sin against them. And when he said this, he fell asleep. So what do we do when people throw stones? Well, in Acts, there are seven really long speeches, super long ones. This is one of them. And Luke records this speech of Stephen talking to the Jewish council. 
Now, the Jewish council at the time is roughly, to be a council, to be a Sanhedrin, you've got to have 72 dudes. So we can safely say there's 72 people listening. And Stephen is this guy that was chosen by the apostles and the people uh, that were following Jesus to help distribute money. There had been a conflict between Greek-speaking widows and Jewish-speaking widows. The Greek-speaking widows had a complaint. They said basically, yo, Peter, they're talking to the disciples. They say, yo, Peter, these ladies, they're getting way more money than we are. They're being treated better than we are. And we see some, uh, some things that aren't right, aren't equal. And the apostles, Peter and the apostles say, look, look, we got to pray. We got to teach. That's what God's assigned us to do. We recognize there's a problem. Here's what we're going to do. Why don't you guys decide, pick seven people that are full of the Holy Spirit, that you trust and are men of integrity, and let them handle these kind of situations. And all the people said, that sounds like a fantastic idea. Stephen's one of them. Philip's the other. Then there were five others that really don't get named, and we don't really know much about them. Stephen, one of the dudes, never really is seen in the Scripture doing his job. We never see him distributing the money. We just see him right away preaching Jesus is the Messiah crucified. Well, he's preaching that Jesus is the Son of God. And the religious leaders, roughly 72 of them, hear what he has to say. And they're really taken back by this and pretty offended. And they see that everybody or the crowd is really interested in what he's saying. In fact, some people want to know more about Jesus. And these religious leaders are not going to have it. So they say, we need to have a serious talk with you. The way that you're acting and the things that you're saying, they're offensive to us. We want to hear more about what it is that you have to say. So they bring him into their little conference center so they can have a discussion. And so they say, look, by what authority do you have the right to say the things that you're saying? You're talking about this Jesus character. We took care of him about uh, three months ago. So what's this deal that you're doing? And he begins to unfold this amazing historical lesson. You can read it starting in chapter 7 up to 53. Where Stephen outlines starting all the way back with Abraham into Moses, into David, all the way through the prophets, into Jesus. Gives a historical understanding of who Jesus is and that God's heart was to save mankind and to make it right for them to be in a relationship with with him, not just the Jews, but all people. And then he said, and Jesus is the only way to do that. Now these guys are, they're ticked off. They're beyond belief ticked off. They're so ticked off that the very opening of this section, verse 54, says what? They, in their hearts were enraged. This word enraged is fantastic. It's so descriptive. The best way to explain what enraged is, is to say their hearts literally felt Ripped open. Have you ever been that mad? <laughs> Have you? Like, and I'm not talking like, I just got cut off but on the freeway and that ticks me off. I'm talking like, you've been wronged. You are so mad you feel like your heart is just ripping within you. Have you felt that? I'm a super emotional, dramatic person. I feel it like all the time. But have you felt that kind of... They're enraged. They start gnashing their teeth. Now, I've been married for almost 22 years, and I've made this wonderful woman upset a few times. Just a few. But I've never made her so mad that she would gnash her teeth at me. 
Could you imagine that kind of anger focused right at you? Someone is grinding their teeth down? What's even more is this is a description of what hell's going to be like. That there will be weeping and wailing and gnashing of teeth. So this is no joke. They are so ticked off at Stephen proclaiming Jesus as the Christ that they are gnashing their teeth and their heart feels like it is just ripping open. They have murder in their eyes and he sees it. Earlier on, while they're questioning him and attacking him and accusing him, and people are these false witnesses saying, hey, I heard him say, and they would say some sort of lie or change the way that he said things. One of the most beautiful things that's said about Stephen is as they were attacking him with words, they still recognized that his face looked like that of an angel. That's never been said of me. I was so mad at you the other day, I wanted to rip your face off, but you just look like an angel. Never. So already we know that the Spirit of the living God is doing something powerful in this man's life. As they start to attack him and accuse him, I want you to... Now I've got the ESV. What do you guys use here? ESV, ESV, do you use different translations? I'm not sure. In the ESV, in English, there's the most powerful phrase that is put in here over and over and over again. And it's the word but. Do you see it? I want you to go back and read it maybe later today. You'll see that it does this contrasting, beautiful contrasting, where the, where the Pharisees, the religious leaders do one thing, but Stephen does something else. They are enraged, they are gnashing their teeth, but Stephen looked to heaven. They went to attack him, but Stephen forgave. They're ready to throw stones, and they're ready to take his life. And that's where Stephen teaches us the first lesson of what to do when people throw stones. I love what it says here in 755 to 56. Now when they heard these things, they were enraged, we got that. He was full of the Holy Spirit and he gazed into heaven and saw the glory of God. Let's just stop there for a second. When people throw stones, where do you look? Where are you looking? When people have wronged you, where do you look? I look right at them. I mean, I get cut off. like I, Not all the time. It just feels like that. Whenever I get cut off on the freeway, I drive up and make sure I just give them a look so that they know. <laughs> you know what's fascinating about our culture? Well, let's do this. Who are the superheroes? And I don't mean like, uh, like real superheroes, you know, like Nelson Mandela or something, right? I mean like in the movies. Who's a superhero? Spider-Man. Spider-Man. Iron Man, Wonder Woman. Batman. We've got the whole Justice League, right? Then we can like look at even like, like not um, superheroes, but just like now other heroes, right? We've got, like, let's go old school. We've got Rambo. He's a hero, right? In the movie. In the movie anyways. We've got Arnold movies, where he's the hero. Now, how do all those guys handle conflict? What do they do? Rage, violence, and they obliterate their enemy. You've wronged me, you've wronged people I love, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to destroy you. That's how I'm going to handle this problem. And we pay for that, and we clap for that, and we're inspired by that. What a great hero movie. Steven's not a hero in a hero movie. 
This is what I love about what Stephen shows us about what it looks like to forgive. Is that when he was attacked, he didn't meet equal violence with more violence. I see the stone you picked up, I've got a boulder. I see the words you're using, I've got bigger words. I see your gnashing of teeth, I can gnash harder. Stephen took his eyes off of the person, off of the situation, off of the hurt, and he looked to Jesus. Maybe you're struggling with unforgiveness because you're looking at the problem, you're looking at the person, you're giving them the space and the right to control your heart with how they have affected you. When Jesus shows us and Stephen shows us that what we're to do is to look to Jesus and it's the hardest thing to do. It's so hard. Our sense of justice just like... It's just like... Whatever this is. <laughs> and I just praise the Lord and I thank God so much that He didn't see me as an enemy and meet me with equal violence. That He didn't say to me, you know, I, try, like, I like laid down my life for you hung on a cross. I like hung there for you and you're going to say that? I'm just going to obliterate you. So if I want to be like Jesus, then I can't be like the Hulk. Even though that feels so much better sometimes. And so one of the ways we can learn to start to forgive is that we get our eyes off of this earth and off of the person and we, we look to Jesus. I mean, Paul had it right when he said, look, the thing that you're fighting is not flesh and blood, okay? Don't make it about flesh and blood. There are forces at work. Evil is trying to destroy you, and I have died for you. You've won this deal. I've won this for you. Just just stop. I love you. Just get your eyes off. Look to Jesus. I mean, that's the last thing I would have done. I have to admit, if I'm pulled into a, a conference room and 70 people are 72 guys are attacking me because of what I said, the last thing I have in my heart without the Lord's help is to look up and to say, Jesus, how do you want this to go? I look at them and say, you're the problem. And then I find myself trapped in a prison, hating and bitter. And I couldn't be farther from Jesus at that moment, or farther like Jesus at that moment. But then Stephen does something, and Luke records it. That is fantastic, and I have to share it with you. He says, I saw the glory of God and Jesus standing at the right hand of God. And he said, Behold, I see the heavens open and the Son of Man standing at the right hand of God. Oh my gosh, that phrase, it's, it's exhilarating to talk about. And I want you to hear this and I want you to follow this thing that's happening. This is the only time, only time in the New Testament that Jesus is mentioned Standing at the right hand of God. What is he, what are we told in the New Testament that Jesus is doing in sitting? In fact, even uh, the, the sons of thunder, the two brothers, they're like arguing about where they can sit. So this is the only time that is shown that Jesus is standing in the New Testament. What's this about? In the Old Testament, there's a high priest. We know Jesus is our high priest. 
In the Old Testament, there was a high priest came from the line of uh, uh, Moses and Aaron. The high priest was responsible to handle the the uh, to be uh, an intercessory between God and the Jews. And the high priest had a lot of responsibilities. One in particular was on the Day of Atonement, where they would go into the Holy of Holies. There's sections in the tabernacle and then later the temple, where they'd go into the Holy Holies where the Ark of the Covenant was. He could only go in there one time a year, and he better make sure he's right. To quote an 80s rap, he had to check himself before he wrecked himself. <laughs> and he would have to make sure that he was right with God while he went into the Holy of Holies to to ask God to forgive the sins of the people. Now, that happened once a year on the Day of Atonement. You know, they used to put a, a rope around the dude's ankle and a bell in case he tipped over died in there. That they wouldn't get contaminated and die in there. They could just pull that guy right out. That's how serious that place was. Now, they also are shown standing whenever there were sacrifices being made. And here's what would happen. What's your name? Huh? Manual. Manual. Like Emmanuel. That's like, I, I picked the perfect guy. So Manuel, you are, uh, you know, you're a sinner. Uh, you're a Jewish sinner. And uh, all of us are, but we're talking about you. And, uh, and uh, you, you have now cheated, lied, you've broken one of the Ten Commandments, and you've got to get right with God. And I'm the high priest. So you got to go find a goat or a sheep. If you don't have a lot of money, we'll accept a dove. But it better be the best one. We don't want one with some jacked up horns, okay? So you got to get a good one. And you're going to bring it to me. And then you're going to tell me, you're going to confess the things that you did. And then I'm going to take my hands and I'm going to place them on this animal that you brought, this perfect animal. And we are going to pray and symbolically put all that sin on this animal. And then I'm going to slaughter it. Because the Bible and God tells us that it's through the blood that you'll be saved. So then I take that blood and then I sprinkle it on you. And we got to do that for you too. Because you're a mess. And we got to do it for all the people in here. And so in the Old Testament, the high priest is never, stand, never sitting. Because the job is never done. There's always sin because that was like Saturday that I met with you to do that and you got to do it again because last night was rough. So now you got to get another animal. And so in the Old Testament, the high priest is always standing. His job is never done. Now we start to recognize that Jesus is our high priest. And Jesus went to the cross as our high priest. And when he died on the cross, what did he say before he died? Remember? It's finished. And that's why in the, old, in the New Testament we see our high priest sitting because the job is done. The job's done. Except this time. When Stephen is about to be killed and martyred for his faith, Jesus stands. Jesus oversees the sacrifice of his family member. He recognized, Stephen recognized that by seeing Jesus standing and communicating to us that Jesus is our advocate. He's our advocate. 
We can learn to forgive by recognizing that Jesus is our advocate. He will fight for us. I don't have to fight for myself. I can offer forgiveness because Jesus is going to deal with it. I don't have to deal with it. I'm not even qualified. Jesus can deal with it. And when I'm being persecuted for my faith, when I'm being hurt, when I'm being attacked, I can know that Jesus is standing and overseeing what is happening. I don't need to take matters into my own hands and take them away from him and say, yeah, I see what you're doing here, but I can do better because I know how to choke them out. I learned it in the fifth grade in judo. You know, you don't... This idea of Jesus being our advocate is so profound because you know that the enemy is going to try to accuse you in heaven. You know in 1 John we're told that the sacrifice of Jesus as our high priest made it a propitiation for our sins. You know what that word means? Say it with me. Propitiation. I hate that word. It's like hard. I don't even know how to spell it. We don't like this word in English because sometimes we don't like to think about God this way, but... Propitiation means a way to cool God's anger towards sin. We don't like thinking that God is angry and that it needs to be cooled, but that's what propitiation means. And propitiation has this other really profound concept. You know, when you're, the scripture tells us that in heaven, Satan's going to try to accuse us. Can I borrow you for a second? Come on up here. This is what propitiation means. Remember your name, Steve. Steve, I want you to think of like the worst thing you've ever done. Like the thing you feel the most, oh gosh, Lord, I can't believe I, you got that? Mm-hmm. Okay, now you need to share it with us because we're in truth. I'm just kidding, I'm just kidding, I'm just kidding. Okay, don't do that, don't do that, don't do that. But I want you to imagine that this is God, he's there. And he's looking down at you and he's like, why? Why am I going to let you in? And Satan's saying, you shouldn't, God. You should not. I know, Steve. I've seen what he's done. I know what he's done. I've seen it. When no one's looking and he's really Steve, you should, God, you'd be embarrassed to have him in heaven. This is what the scripture tells us Satan does. This is what Jesus does as God's looking at you and you start seeing a file cabinet opening, getting larger and larger with all these things that perhaps you've done. You're reminded that love is God. God is love and he doesn't keep a record of wrong. And as God's looking at you and you're recognizing all this stuff that you've done, that this enemy is accusing you of, Jesus, your advocate, is our propitiation. And Jesus says, God, you should let him in because he's with me. He's with me. And God says, that's enough for me. That's why I sent you. Thank you, Steve. So when we're being attacked, when people are throwing stones, when your heart is in a prison and you're so bitter and you're so trapped and you're so angry, we can look to Jesus and remember that he's our advocate. And the key gets turned and the gate gets open and we can have a sense of freedom. This is not my deal to fight. 
I got to own what I need to own. I got to ask for forgiveness. I got to offer it. But Jesus, I see you, and this is your deal. And then, as we round out to the end here, they get ticked. Oh gosh, do they get ticked. They get ticked that he said, I see Jesus standing at the right hand of God because now he's done it. They tear their clothes, which is extreme anger. As he's talking, they plug their own ears like a three-year-old. I'm not going to hear this. I'm not going to hear this. They grab him with violence. They take him out of the city and they throw him on the ground and they take stones, rocks, and they throw it at his face. And as a... Rocks are being hit into his head and the corner of his eyebrow gets skid marks and now is bleeding as he gets rocks thrown at his ribs and the cracking sound begins. As they're throwing rocks with every blow, what does Stephen do? He doesn't do what Daphron would have done, which is pick up a rock that just hit me and throw it back. You want to hit me with a rock? I'll hit you with a rock. What does Stephen do? He says, Jesus, forgive them. They don't know what they're doing. Now, who does that sound like? Jesus. When we ask the Lord to come into our life, the Holy Spirit takes up residence in our life and He helps us become more and more like Him. And you're more and more like him and you when you start quoting him. And you mean it. And as he's being attacked, he didn't pick up a rock and throw it back. With every blow, he didn't say a curse word. With every hit, he didn't try to defend himself. With every crush of a bone, he asked Jesus to forgive. There's a woman named Corey Ten Boom. How many of you know that name? She's amazing. Maybe you don't know who she is. She's back in World War II with Nazi Germany. She and her sister were hiding Jews in their house and in their basement. One of the great stories about Corey Ten Boom, and you can read her, you can go on like Amazon and look, she's got tons of books. One of the things that her and her sister did was they refused to lie. They just felt like it was wrong to lie. So when the Gestapo would come in and say, we heard you are hiding... That's my German accent. I don't even know what I'm trying. <laughs> we heard that you're hiding Jews here. She and her sister would drink tea and say, yeah, they're right under the floor of the house. And they'd think she's crazy. Oh, she's just making stuff up. And she didn't lie. <laughs> Eventually, she was caught. Her and her sister were thrown in concentration camp, and she lost her sister there. I want us to watch this video and see what Corey Ten Boom has to say about forgiveness. When I was in a concentration camp, one of the most terrible things I had to go through was that they stripped us of all our clothing. And we had to stand. The first time was the worst. I said, Betsy, I cannot bear this. And suddenly it was as if I saw Jesus at the cross. 
And the Bible tells they took his garments, he hanged them naked. And I knew he hanged it for me, for my sins. And by my suffering, I understood a fraction of the suffering of Jesus Christ. And it made me so thankful that I could bear my suffering. Love, so amazing, so divine, demands my life, my soul, my all. Some people are afraid to look at the cross. Are you? Don't be afraid. The cross is terrible. It is terrible how Jesus suffered. Not to describe. But you must not be afraid to look at it. For if you had been the only person in the world, Jesus should have suffered for your sins. At the cross, at the cross, where I first saw the light, and the burden of my sins rolled away, it was there by faith I received my sight, and now I have guidance every day. It was some time ago that I was in Berlin, and there came a man to me and said, Ah, Mr. Bohm, I am glad to see you. Don't you know me? And suddenly I saw that man that was one of the most cruel overseers, guards, in the concentrate, concentration camp. And that man said, I have, I'm now a Christian, I have found the Lord Jesus, I read my Bible and I know that there is forgiveness for all the sins of the whole world, also for my sins. I have forgiveness for the cruelties I have done, but then I have asked God grace for an opportunity that I could ask one of my very victims forgiveness. And Fräulein van Boom, once in here forgiven, will you forgive me? And I could not. I remembered the suffering of my dying sister through him. But when I saw, when I experienced that I could not forgive, suddenly I knew I myself have no forgiveness. Do you know that Jesus has said that? When you do not forgive those who have sinned against you, my heavenly Father will not forgive you your sins. And I, I know all. Oh, I'm not ready for Jesus coming because I have no forgiveness for my sins. But I was not able, I could not, I could only hate him. And then I took one of these beautiful texts, one of these boundless resources, Romans 5, 5. The love of God is shed abroad into our hearts through the Holy Spirit who is given to us. And I said, thank you, Jesus, that you have brought into my heart God's love through the Holy Spirit who is given to me. And thank you, Father, that your love is stronger than my hatred and unforgiveness. That same moment, I was free. 
and I could see brother with your hand and I shook hands with him and it was as if I felt God's love stream through my arms. You never touch so the ocean of God's love as that you forgive your enemies. Can you forgive? No, I can't either. But Jesus can. So when we look to Him, when we recognize He's our advocate, He supplies us with His love and His ability to help us forgive. I don't know what's going on in your heart. I don't know where you've been or where you're going. But I know for sure that you're just as jacked up and broken as I am. And you need forgiveness just as much as I do. And I need to offer it just as much as you do. We want our world to know that we love Jesus and that He's everything He says He is. And maybe just the first way we can begin to do that is we deal with our own unforgiveness about a brother or sister or an enemy who's thrown stones. And maybe it's just time we put our stone down. And we don't throw it back, but we put it down and we look to Jesus and we recognize as He stands at our defense and gives us what we need to forgive. So, Lord, that's our...